Welcome to the East Memorial Student Podcast, your source for the biblical teaching of East Memorial Student Ministries. I am your host, Matt Bronski, pastor of Students and Discipleship at East Memorial Baptist Church in Prattville, Alabama. So, regarding tonight's message, I have good news and I have bad news. What do you guys want first? Hearing bad news? Okay. The bad news is that this message tonight is probably going to be even more controversial than our last two messages. Which means, if you were not offended in our last two messages on submission, then there's a chance you may be offended tonight. I hope not. I hope not. But there is a chance. This is going to be a controversial topic. I only have 40 or so minutes to teach, so... Lord be with me, but that is the bad news. Okay, good news? You guys ready for good news? Yeah! The good news is that tonight is the last message focusing on girls. So that is the good news. Girls can breathe after tonight. You can breathe a little bit easier. The spotlight will no longer be on you. And next week, we will turn to the guys and, and just absolutely hammer them with biblical truth, right? Amen to that? Amen. All right, amen. So that's the good news. So the topic that we are covering tonight is the topic of women being workers at home. Women being workers at home. And regarding this topic, according to the simple reading of Scripture, and this is why we're talking about this, this is why we're talking about this, according to the simple reading of Scripture, a godly woman or the type of woman girls ought to be and guys ought to pursue is a woman who will embrace a role as a caretaker of her family and home. And we're going to, believe me, unpack this. But to show you what I'm talking about, turn with me to Titus 2. And this is going to be our main passage, but Titus 2. And we are going to read verses 3 to 5. And so Titus 2, starting in verse 3, reads, and this is God speaking through the Apostle Paul here, he says, Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good. And what does the good teaching involve? We'll look down in verse 4. It gives it, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. And if you look at this last phrase, it gives us the purpose of, for encouraging young women to be all the things that were just listed. And that purpose is so that the word of God will not be dishonored. In other words, it's implied that if a young woman rejects these qualities, then the word of God will be dishonored. That is the implication. So here in Titus 2, verses 3 to 5, we have a clear and positive example that encourages women to be caretakers of their family and their home. For a negative example that supports the same message as Titus 2, verses 3 to 5, turn with me to Proverbs 7, 
And we're going to look at verses 10 to 11. Proverbs 7, verses 10 to 11. And in this passage, an ungodly woman is described in terms that are almost the exact opposite of those found in Titus 2, verses 3 to 5. And so starting in verse 10, I'll show you, it says, And behold, a woman comes to meet him, dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart. And of course, this would be the opposite of what it would be to be pure. Continuing, it says, She is boisterous. And this would be antithetical to the concept of sensible or restrained. She's rebellious, which of course is the opposite of submissive. And, and here's the key part in the last point, her feet do not remain at home. And this would be antithetical to the idea of being a worker at home. Now, I know that reads funny. We're going to explain these things as we go on, okay? So it doesn't mean that her feet have to be shackled at home. Let me just say that, okay? Just to, just to get, but we will, we will go through it. So this is a bad example. And if you take these two examples, Titus 2, verses 3 to 5, and then here in Proverbs 7, this settles it, right? Okay, clear what Scripture says. Or does it open a can of worms with all sorts of questions? I'm going to assume it's the latter. I'm going to assume that there's a lot of questions that, are go- that, that, that come up when we read passages like this. So maybe the most important question for our purpose tonight is, what does it exactly look like to be a Titus 2 woman? What does it look like to be a Titus 2 woman? And related to that, what does it mean for a woman to be a worker at home? Maybe these are the most important questions for our purpose tonight. And the way we are going to approach this topic and answer these questions is we're going to go back to Titus 2, and we're going to look at that passage again, and we're going to explain in detail three descriptions of the godly Titus 2 woman And these three descriptions are interrelated. And so the first two we're going to group together, and that is to be lovers of one's husband and children. So we're going to consider that under one grouping. And then the third description we're going to look at as a second kind of grouping is being workers at home. And as we're going to see, understanding the first two descriptions, being lovers of one husband and children, is going to help us understand the third description of being a worker at home. So there's a method to the madness. So let's start at uh, lovers of one's husband and children. And I'll go back to Titus 2 and start reading again from verse 3, and then we'll end in verse 4. Okay, so verse 3 says, Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children. All right, so these descriptions, the root word behind love in these descriptions here in verse four is a Greek word, the root of it is philos, philos. And this is a love that is affectionate and warm. It's the way you could describe this kind of love. There's another common word for love in the, in the Greek um, that's pr- uh, pronounced uh, agape, agape love. You, if you've heard anybody talk about the different loves in Greek, that might sound familiar to you. But this is another, agape is another word for love. And agape, it's, it's a more broad term. So it can certainly include affectionate love, but it can also cl- include 
loyalty-based or duty-bound love. So a love that is owed because maybe you have a covenant with somebody and you are obligated to sacrifice on behalf of that person or protect that person. And that would be the definition of that kind of love. So it may not be affectionate. It may just be duty-bound and obligated love under this term agape. Philos, on the other hand, the love that we see in verse four, this is specific to an affectionate love where the one who loves has a genuine like of and care for the object of their love. So for example, the person who loves in this way could never say, I may love you, but I don't like you. Has anyone ever heard that before? View hands, okay, here. I may love you, but I don't like you. To be a lover in the philos sense, you can't say that. To be that kind of lover means that you both love and like. There's true and genuine affection behind that love. So the term lover of husband and lover of children really means to be an affectionate lover of one's husband and children and one who likes one's husband and children. That is the meaning, and this is important to emphasize because God here is not saying that young women should be lovers of their career or lovers of travel or lovers of personal comfort. Here, it's saying God wants the young women to be lovers of their husband and children in this affectionate sense. Therefore, we can say that for a woman to be a Titus II woman, her husband and children must occupy a special place in her heart. And we could even argue that they must be the primary focus of her earthly affection. Of course, her affection to God become, is, is truly the thing that is first. But second to that, in terms of earthly affection, her husband and her children are to occupy the primary place. Now, I want to make a few observations about these descriptions of women being lovers of one's husband and children, especially in this, this passage. And the first observation that we see is that God, speaking through Paul, says that older women need to encourage the younger women to be lovers of their husband and children. And what this implies is that this quality does not come naturally or instinctually. And if you were to ask any woman who is married, I even give you permission to ask Carissa this question, they will tell you that husbands are difficult to love affectionately. They are difficult to even like at times. And I'm just being honest. I'll, I'll put myself on blast there because husbands, they can be beyond stubborn. Us guys can be stubborn and pig-headed. Yeah, never, right? Never. Yeah, but we can. Uh, we can be absolutely clueless about the emotional needs of our families. We forget birthdays, special occasions. You know, it's like the, the wife is like, you know, can't you just see that I need your help here? And it's like, no, no, I, I honestly can't. You know, so, and this is, this almost seems like, you know, it's just instinctual for men to be, to be uh, just clueless in these ways. And then the list can just go on and on, right? So husbands are difficult to love, even children are difficult to love. And don't get me wrong, children, they have their moments of being adorable 
a lot of fun, you know, very easy to love, really cute sometimes, especially the younger children. But if, if you don't already know this firsthand, believe me, if you spend all day and every day with children, especially toddlers, they will drive you insane most of the time, okay? The, the times of e- even teenagers, right? Yeah. Yeah, even teenagers, well, I'm sure. I'm sure Krista and I, and I are not there yet, but the parents back here are, and uh, I trust what they say. That what is it worse? Is it worse for toddlers or worse for teenagers? What do you all say back there? Teenagers, I'm hearing teenagers. <laughs> so maybe maybe the opinions are a little bit, but I'm hearing a consensus of teenagers. And you all are teenagers, so yes, trusting what is being said, you are difficult to love in the affectionate sense. All right. This is an example of children being difficult to love, right? And we just want to just, you know, take that bottle and smash it over their head, right? No, but, but we would appreciate not, not having that noise. But okay. So the point was just illustrated in real time that children are difficult to love. So young women they are not going to be natural lovers of their husband and children. They need to be encouraged. They need to be encouraged not only by the older women who have been there and done that, but they also need to be encouraged by the truth of God's word, which brings us to our second observation. So number two, here's another observation from this passage. If young women do affectionately love their husband and children, giving them a place of priority in their hearts, then they will honor God's word. That is the implication from this passage. And how this honors God's word, this isn't immediately clear on the surface, but scripture does define the role of the wife and mother in these terms. For example, according to Genesis 2, we read that Eve was created to be a unique helper and support for her husband. Unique helper and support. You can find that if you're taking notes, Genesis 2.18. We won't go there. But woman... The wife, and the wife alone, was created to be a helper and support for the husband. No other man, friend, or animal could ever fulfill that role. The wife alone was designed for that role. Also, in addition to her role as Adam's unique helper and support, Eve was also created and designed to bear children, deliver children into this world, and then even to nourish them in their infancy. This is the design of their bodies. And we see in the beginning of Genesis, this purpose established. And so regarding the second point, this unique role of a mother, of a wife who is created to bear, give birth to, and nourish children, this creates a special bond between mother and child. And it is a bond that cannot be matched. And we could even say that the affectionate love of a mother cannot be matched in power or effect by any grandparent, by even a father. If you've ever, well, I mean, uh, I can just speak from experience. There'll be times that Levi or Jude, well, especially Levi, he's getting to that age where he'll bonk his head or he'll get hurt. 
and all, you know, be like, oh, Levi, you know, come here, give, give dad a hug. And he's just like, no, mom, mom, I just, you know, I want mom, right? There's something special about mom and the comfort and the love of mom. And so not even a father, not a daycare worker or anybody else can match the love and the affection of a mother. Specifically, what I'm talking about is the power and the effect of that love. So if a woman has a husband and children, and if the circumstances allow, we could conclude that she will most honor God's word and God's design if she embraces her unique calling to be the primary emotional and practical support for her husband and children. And this now takes us to the third characteristic that we will describe in detail, and that is of being a worker at home. And we'll see how this all connects. So going to Titus 2, now verse 5. We'll start in verse 5, and I'll reread this verse. And it's, of course, speaking of the qualities. It says, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. All right, so now in seeking to understand what it means to be a worker at home, immediately we run into a challenge. And the challenge is that the term for worker at home, and you can also translate it as homemaker. Some of your, if, you're, if you have like a King James, it might have like homemaker or something like that. But uh, this word only appears once in the entire New Testament. And that's right here in verse five. It's the only place this word appears in the New Testament. And what that means is that we can't get a full understanding of this word by just looking at the word itself because it only appears one time. So there's not enough data. There's not enough passages that can give us a a clearer meaning of that word. And so what we have to do in order to understand this description more fully is we need to search scripture for examples that depict a Titus II woman and that eliminate incorrect interpretations of this term. So we need to find examples in scripture that are related to the concept of being a worker at home. And the first passage I want to show you is in Acts 16, verses 14 to 15. So Acts 16, verses verses 14 to 15. And it reads... A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. And she was listening to Paul and his, his gospel message. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So based on this passage, there's two things to point out. Two things to point out that's relevant for our discussion. And one, we can say with confidence that Lydia here was a career woman. She was a seller of purple fabrics, which was a a evidently lucrative career. Purple was the color of royalty and wealth. So it's like she was a seller of Gucci or Versace or all these, you know, fancy designer clothes, okay? And she was evidently successful enough to own her own home and to provide for her own household. 
The second observation is she is described as a worshiper of God. And not only is she described as a worshiper of God, but evidently she was godly enough to be granted the privilege of hosting Paul and his ministry team in her home. And what that means by implication is that the home of Lydia was most likely the location, the meeting place of the new church in her city. So if you remember our brief series on Philemon or Philemon or however you pronounce it, it's very similar to the role that Philemon had, a host of the church. And it required her to be a godly, God-fearing woman. And what is significant about this? Well, let me say this first, though. Since Lydia is described as the owner of her own house, and she is, she's the one that's inviting the apostles, she's described as the owner, and considering the context of that day, including the biblical context, Lydia was most likely not married. Otherwise, her husband would have been designated as the head of the household. So the fact that she is the one who is presented as the head of her household indicates that she was most likely not married. She may have been a widow or she may never have been married. Also, we don't know if she had any children. It doesn't say, and there's nothing in the book of Acts that would give us that clue. So it's possible she was just a single career woman or a widow who had children, but we don't hear about the children. Now, what is significant about this is this, this woman, Lydia, is a godly, God-fearing woman who is also a career woman. However, and just to, as a point of clarification, since it's indicated she's not married and we don't know about any children, this passage does have a limitation in the sense that this passage can't be used to justify a Christian wife and mother being a career woman. And not because it argues against it per se, but because of all the things we've just talked about, there's a limit to the application of this text. However, we can say at the very least that this passage does prove that it is certainly permissible for at least an unmarried Christian woman to pursue a successful and lucrative career. So at the very least, we can at least conclude that from this passage. But it does have its limits, and so there is one more passage that I want us to look at that will, be, that will be even more helpful to us in answering this question of what it looks like to be a Titus II woman. And that passage is in Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31, we've been, we've been in this passage a few other times, but we're going to read, I'm going to read from verse 10 all the way to verse 30. And then we'll talk, we'll talk about this passage. So Proverbs 31, and we will start in verse 10. And here it says, an excellent wife who can find, for her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. She is like merchant ship, ships. She brings her food from afar. She rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. 
From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. She stretches out her hands to the, to the distaff and her hands grasp the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor and she stretches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her households are clothed with scarlet. She makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies belts to the tradesmen. Strength and dignity are her clothing and she smiles at the future. She opens her mouth in wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and bless her, her husband also, and he praises her saying, many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Now, I do want to address one thing. If reading this passage, this seems like an impossible standard for women to obtain, who, who among the girls is like, who, who can ever do this? And even some of the guys raising their hands, right? Okay, let me just clarify that there is nothing in this passage that indicates that this is all in one day's of work, all right? That, that it's as, as if this woman here is doing all these things in one 24-hour day. If that were the case, then, yeah, I think it'd be like, this, this is impossible. What's even the point of this, right? I would argue that this woman in this passage, this is describing this woman's way of life in general. These are the qualities and the characteristics that define her as a whole. So maybe one day she's buying a field, selling it, and then planting a vineyard. And then maybe another day she's making clothes and selling that. And then other days, maybe there are some, you know, some things that she is doing every day, but other things, certainly, it's not a 24-7 thing. So if it seems overwhelming, be encouraged. Uh, this is describing her whole life. And even so, no woman will ever be perfect, just like no man will ever be perfect, right? We're, we're sinners. We will always fall short. So think of this as a goal to strive toward, not as something to you know, put this weight upon your shoulders as if, if I don't live up to this, then that means I'm a failure. No, just it's a direction that you should be heading. So this is describing a woman's life as a whole. And I want to make a few quick points of observation. So one, it is clear from this passage that this Proverbs 31 woman and really this woman who fulfills Titus 2 in every way is not a woman who is locked inside her home with her ankle chained to the kitchen. Okay, it's not, it's very clear from this passage, this woman, her feet are not chained at home. All right, she ventures into real estate. She makes some profits. She then uses those profits to invest for her family. She also seems to participate in charity for the truly poor and needy. She also seems to make clothing and sells it and supplies belts to the trademen, right? So we see these things in this passage where this woman is clearly a woman who does engage in business activities outside of the home. We see that from this 
perfect woman as, as she is depicted. However, there's one more point of observation that we do need to consider, and that is this, number two, although this Proverbs 31 woman engages in business activity outside the home, it is also clear from this passage that her primary focus is on the needs of her home, husband, and children. She's taking ownership of those areas of responsibility. So if we were to then apply this passage to our own modern context, we could say, we could say this, and we could summarize, summarize like this. Scripture permits women and permits a woman to pursue business outside the home and any required education associated with that business. That is permissible. However, if a woman is a wife and a mother, her primary God-given responsibility is to care for the needs of her home, husband, and children. That responsibility comes before any career or any self-focused pursuit, according to scripture. And again, I'm not saying that a woman is in sin if she goes to college or pursues a career. But if she, get, if she is married or when she marries, then the wishes and needs of her husband come first. If she has children or when she has children, their needs come first. And I should say, I'm not just talking about their need to be clothed and fed and supervised. I mean, technically money and daycare can provide for those needs, I'm also talking about their emotional and spiritual needs. That's in focus as well. So really the the idea is that your children or your future children, if the Lord chooses to bless you with children, they need to be comforted when they're upset. They need to be disciplined to do what is right. And even more important than all of that, they need to be instructed in the knowledge of God and in his word. Those are the most important important needs. And I would argue, along with scripture, that a child's mother working in support of her husband and working under her husband's authority, that she is the best person to fulfill those needs. She is the person that God designed to fulfill those needs. Now, I do want to say, I know that there are a ton of what ifs and complex scenarios that we could address and that way we could spend all night addressing the what ifs. And there are legitimate scenarios where it may be impossible for a mother to care for her family in the ways that we've described. For example, a wife and mother could be left alone to financially provide for her family through things like a husband's abandonment, a husband's death, a husband's disability, And in those cases, the honorable thing for her is to go out and work and provide because she has no choice. And in those scenarios, God certainly would not hold any woman in sin who is forced to adapt to those kind of scenarios. So there are exceptions to the principles that we are talking about. However, the principles still stand. A wife and a mother is designed by God to be the primary caretaker of her husband and children. 
Now, as we come to our conclusion, I want to say just a few more things and a few more things that I hope will encourage you to do your best to conform your life to this standard that we find in Titus 2 and Proverbs 31. So just a few things. And one, I want to say and acknowledge that we live in a culture and society where the independent and career woman is celebrated. We live in that culture, and there is a ton of pressure for you girls especially to conform to that expectation. And what I mean by that is if you were to tell the average person in society, if you were to tell some of your friends at school, maybe even some of your family members, if you were to go to them and say to them that you would be willing to leave behind a successful career to be a stay-at-home wife and mom, especially if you felt that that is what your family needed in that season of life, then you will very likely face pushback and maybe even ridicule. People might say, are you kidding me? Why, why would you do that? Why would you do that? So the pressure is real. However, the question to ask yourself is what is more important? Is the praise and approval of people Co-workers, friends, family, is that the most important? Or is the praise and approval of God more important to you? That's a major question to ask. Number two, second thing to say, is that if you choose to pursue the path of a Proverbs 31 and Titus 2 woman, it will require sacrifice. It will require sacrifice. What do I mean by that? Well, one, being a stay-at-home wife and mom has the potential and most likely will be a 24-7-hour, 24-7, 24-hour, seven days a week, and exhausting job. It's nonstop, especially as, as children are young. It is nonstop. It's as if you're always on the clock, especially if you don't have a lot of help from family or if you're doing a lot of the cooking and cleaning yourself. Now, obviously, there's conveniences that our modern society provides that makes it a little bit easier. But if, because of money reasons or even personal convictions, if you choose to take on you know, the, the primary responsibility for cooking and cleaning and you don't have help to do those things, it is exhausting work to be a stay-at-home mom and mother. And not only can it be very exhausting work, but it is also thankless work. It's thankless. Your toddlers are not going to appreciate what you do for them as a mom. Even your husbands at times, and maybe even most of the times, are not going to express appreciation for what you're doing for them and the children. It is a thankless job. And the culture especially is not going to praise you for doing that job. So that's one sacrifice, just the pure work and exhaustion of it. Another sacrifice is that if you are a stay-at-home wife and mom, relying on a single income from your husband will mean, most likely, that you will have to sacrifice things that more money could buy. You will have to sacrifice, right? So unless your husband is very successful making a lot of money, if you are, as a, as a family, relying on one income, 
there is very good chance that you are not going to be able to afford things like renovating your home, buying new furniture, driving the latest model of cars, or going on frequent family vacations. There are going to have to be financial sacrifices that are made if your family is a single-income family. However, as nice and enjoyable as those things can be, the, the next question to ask is, can you accept and believe that the time you invest in your husband and children is worth more than your comfort and pleasure? Is it worth more than your comfort and pleasure? That is a question to ask. All right, number three, and finally, I do want to say this. I realize that I'm just one man, all right, and just one man, one preacher, and my personal encouragement can only go so far, okay? I acknowledge that, and after all, in Titus 2, it is expected that the older women will be instrumental in encouraging the younger women to conform to this standard. So I, I want to acknowledge that, and with this being acknowledged, I want to give a little promo, and that is this upcoming Sunday, we're going to do something special for Sunday school. What we're going to do is I'm going to have three women ranging from their 20s to their 60s who are going to share their experience with you. And these women, they're all mothers. And as mothers, all of these women, they have both worked full-time as mothers, and they have also made a transition to being stay-at-home wives and mothers also. So that is something that's unique about these women. And so from an experiential point of view, I just want to acknowledge up front that they're going to have more from the experiential side, they're going to have a lot more to offer you, especially you girls, than I would as a man. Okay, so I do want to say that and promo the fact that we are going to be doing this. So I do hope for all the girls here that you will be able to attend this Sunday for Sunday school. It's going to be great. We're going to have a panel There'll even be some time for questions if you have any questions for the ladies that will be joining us. So just to give a promo to that. And also, maybe as a final point of encouragement, again, this is the last message dealing with girls. All right, so you can take a breath. We are finished. We are through with, with the ladies. Hopefully, I, I pray that this, that this has been, even if it's been challenging, that it has been encouraging with you. And uh, next week... We will finally begin with all of these troublemaking guys over here and, uh, and uh, address them from Scripture. All right, let me pray, and then we will be dismissed. Lord God, we are so thankful for your word and the ability to study your word and to study your word together, Lord. God, your, every, your word, is, as true as it may be and it, as clear as it may be, that doesn't mean that it's always easy to accept or to understand from our perspective. And so, Lord, I just pray for everyone here that, that you would help, through your Holy Spirit, that you would help apply the truths that we have covered these past five weeks, Lord, as we've talked about the woman to be and the woman to pursue. And so, Lord, I just pray that, uh, that your will will be done in our lives and that you will help us grow more and more into the likeness of your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray for all the students and the adults here that you would give us 
our daily provisions and protection and that you would just be with us until we meet again. We pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the East Memorial Student Podcast. For more information and updates about East Memorial Student Ministries, please visit our website at eastmemorial.org. You can also follow us on our Instagram page titled EMBC Student.